Welcome, everyone, from across the universe to the Wampa's Lair Podcast. Star Wars is for everyone, so pull up a chair, get comfortable, and join the conversation with your hosts, Carl LeClaire and Jason Hunt, here in the Wampa's Lair. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this special episode of the Wampa's Lair podcast. I am one of your hosts, Carl LeClaire. I'm joined by a friend of mine, Lori Kimmerly. Lori and I got to be friends through grad school at Boston College studying theology. But Lori's done lots of wonderful things that I'm going to let her tell you about. Hey, Lori, welcome to the show. Hi. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> I'm good. How are you? Good. Uh, yeah, so I, um, I was really excited to come on and talk about uh, the story of Rey in Star Wars, especially because I've studied feminist storytelling through the lens of applied theater um, in my master's, and now I'm working in my master's in focusing on feminist theology. And so I was very intrigued by your version or your curious questions around the heroine's journey in Rey, because it's kind of story of women and uh women being awesome is kind of my jam so it's very exciting to get to talk about it yeah i'm um when episode nine came out uh i was really excited about uh you know looking more into the heroine's journey and there's been so much great work looking at the heroine's journey what it means through uh, lots of great podcasts right now um but i also wanted to educate myself a bit more about it and I thought the first person to talk to about it would be you because I know you know a lot about this stuff. Um, you've, <laughs> you've already studied a lot of it. So um, you and I met for coffee. Jeez, this was a couple months ago now. But mm-hmm. um, you had not seen episode nine at that point. So I tried my best to give you like the overall. Here's what happened in the story. I, you know, you'd seen Force Awakens and, and Last Jedi. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, luckily, Disney Plus put it out early. You were able to watch it. And um we were texting, you know, not too long ago, and I asked you, you know, point blank, well, Laurie, does she does she complete the heroine's journey? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and you felt that she did. And 
Um, yeah. So I really wanted to talk to you more about that and, and understand that a bit more. And I think a great starting point is um, to get a sense of how you understand the heroine's journey, just in, you know, just in general, it doesn't have to be in this. We'll look at the specifics of, of Ray in a moment, but um, just to kind of have our working framework here, how do you understand the heroine's journey? I understand it to be about the story of coming and back and finding yourself or discovering the goddess within you. So um, for me, that means that I think in the typical hero's journey, uh, you go out on an adventure, you have all these conflicts and experiences, you defeat the, the hero defeats the, the dragon or, or the big, the big bad. And then after that, they're able to go back to their community and regale them with their stories and adventures of the outside world. And the heroine's journey is, um, is more about going out and battling the, the ogres and the monsters, and, but really realizing that the power to defeat the big bad is within you the whole time. And then being able to stand out as an independent entity, um, uh, as a, as a independent entity being able to be your own hero. So while you save the day, while the, the heroine saves the day at the end of the story, she ultimately um, finds herself through the journey and comes back to herself. And I think that that's important in feminist dialogue because of what, what has happened within patriarchal structures is that women are sort of raised to, to think about how their actions affect the community and not how the action, their actions help raise them up in their own personal narratives. And so the difference between the heroine's journey and the hero's journey is the hero is externally focused and the heroine's journey is ultimately internal growth and internally focused. Oh, all right. Um, so do you, do you see them like, are they two journeys that are opposed to one another or just two separate journeys? It sounds like they're just, they're after different ends in a lot of ways. Yeah. I think they're just different stories. So like um, I'm thinking of Lord of the Rings. Um, Frodo uh, certainly has an internal journey, uh, but ultimately the story ends when he saves the world. And I think about um, now I'm like only can only think about Star Wars right now in terms of, of a heroine's journey, but I'm um, trying to think of another one, like the story of Persephone and Demeter. Persephone ultimately uh, becomes the the queen of the underworld and and springtime. And that idea of her journey is not necessarily to save the world, but it's about saving herself. And so while the world is able then to have a harvest, um, it, she, it's ultimately about her being saved from the underworld, destroying her or being okay. stuck in the underworld. Okay. Um, so right. Yeah. Cause obviously like in, in the context of star Wars, um, mm -hmm. almost every star Wars fan knows that especially the original story of Luke Skywalker, it's the hero, the hero's journey, like clear cut, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, it's, yeah. it's his, it's, and there is some level of sense of self-discovery there, but kind of like you were saying at the end of the day, it's ultimately about him saving the galaxy, you know, right. facing down Darth Vader. Um, but uh, Ray's journey is certainly meant to be somewhat different. Um, I think that's important. I mean, the thing I, I loved that 
J.J. Abrams literally gave us a female hero, a female lead mm -hmm. with Force Awakens. Um, and a lot of folks talk about how, obviously, we know uh, Disney decided not to go with George Lucas's story treatments that he sold them when he sold the company for sequels. Um, but what was very clear, the one thing they definitely stayed with was George was intending to make the, the sequel trilogy about a female character. Um, mm. now I don't know if that meant he was going to plan to actively engage the heroine's journey. Um, and I think there's a lot of star Wars mm -hmm. fans that still just think of Ray in the context of a hero's journey. But, um, I think in force awakens, she kind of goes through the hero's journey, um, in a nutshell. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think the genius of last Jedi, um, and I, I know I was talking to you about this, um, is when she shows up on the Island and, and offers Luke that old lightsaber and he tosses it over his shoulder, um, yeah. you know, to me, there's almost this meta narrative in that moment of we've already gotten the hero's journey. That's not what this is anymore. Right. And I think what, mm. what Ryan Johnson actively did with, uh, with episode eight was he kind of refocused of, all right, we got the hero's journey already in force awakens. It's time for the heroine's journey. Um, mm -hmm. so what do you mm -hmm. think that works? Uh, yeah, I think it's actually very interesting that you say that because I think when I think about Ray's journey, it's so much more about her. Well, I guess so I'm thinking of it alongside Luke's journey where, so Luke it's in, in the, and I'm in the last, I guess technically it's the last three episodes, but his journey is coming to terms with, um, or no, it's the first three. I'm so sorry. Your fans are going to be That's okay. so upset with me, um, but <laughs> he ultimately right. <laughs> saves the galaxy. And then he has this discovery about who his father is. And so that's an internal journey, of course, but it's not necessarily a, um, a, it's not like he, I think Darth Vader could have never been his father and the plot would have still followed through. There wouldn't have been the cool twist at the end. There's so many through narratives throughout the rest of the, uh, the series that wouldn't have been able to happen, but his ultimate saving of the galaxy would have happened. Whereas for Ray, I think him, uh, Luke throwing that, uh, the lightsaber over his shoulder says something also about, um, how, Ray's story is not really about training to be a Jedi to defeat the dark, the dark force it's, or the dark side of the force. It's, it's about her reconciling uh, the darkness, the, the history of the dark force in her life. And so in the, ultimately in the end, when she defeats um, the winds in the end, it's because she's reconciled who she is, not because she has trained well. And I think it's also a foreshadowing to the fact that like, this is not a story about being a good fighter. This is a story about, about reconciliation within yourself. Mm. Yeah. And, and that's really what the sequel trilogy is ultimately about is this, uh, right. It, George Lucas gave us with the Phantom Menace, this idea of balance of the force, right? There's that's the prophecy mm -hmm. that underlies the entire prequel trilogy is, Anakin was born to bring balance to the force. And we ultimately see him do that. Finally, at the very end of his life in return of the Jedi, when he throws the emperor down the, the shaft. Um, mm -hmm. And now it seems that the force is out of balance again. And 
almost as if, you know, and, and obviously this has been a point of contention for a lot of fans as they feel that the sequel trilogy has now undone the sacrifice of Anakin and what he and Luke accomplished in Return of the Jedi. Um, mm. I don't think that it does. Um, I think it's, it, more than anything, I think it's it's nice to revisit the fact that um, there are cycles of evil, right? Like life is mm-hmm. somewhat cyclical, um, circular, whatever. Um, mm-hmm. And, right, there's never... There's never one ultimate like, okay, happily ever after. Everything is all set. Um, and I think right. that's the idea of bringing Ray in is, is is now there's the evils back again, but the last way of bringing it down didn't keep it down. So um, this is an opportunity to do that. Um, and I think it comes down to that concept of reconciliation, like you said. Yeah. And it's it's interesting. I'm thinking about the relationship between Kylo and Rey and how they're. It seems to me in the last in the last movie, it was a lot about how they are two sides of the same coin, and there's this push and pull together between them, and um, and there needs to be some type of reconciliation between the two of them. And I think for Kylo, when he st- it's it's he's um, there's like that scene where they're in the ocean. And they fight each other, and then his dad comes back um, as like some type of ghost form, right? And he gets to make the right decision where he's actually going to choose goodness. And for him, it seems like there's this little bit of a heroine's journey within him where he reconciles um, the darkness with the light and and chooses to ultimately like join Ray in defeating um the is it the Sith and uh it it seems like this the the whole last movie is all about reconciliation and that's ultimately what the heroine's journey is about is reconciling who you are with um with all the other conflicts within yourself reconciling your conflicts within yourself before you can reconcile the conflicts outside of you what great wisdom (laughs) uh i love that and i love that you're you're pointing out that even Ben Solo kind of makes that journey. Um, yeah. Yeah. You know, I, so what's interesting about Han Solo coming back in that moment is, is we're told in the context of the movie that it, it's a memory. It's some sort of incarnational memory. Like he, Han is not mm-hmm. physically there. Um, like Star okay. Wars has obviously given us the idea of force ghosts. So like Luke Skywalker's back as a force ghost. We see Leia as a force ghost at the end of episode nine. Um, uh-huh. Right. We see Ben Kenobi as one in the original movies. That's uh-huh. all because they were force users. It's, been very clear that Han Solo is not a force user. So we don't know exactly uh-huh. how he's there. Um, my own speculation is somehow Leia is making it happen because she's the one who reached out and finally connected to Ben. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think for Ben, his, his point of reconciliation, right. Is, is, is making sense of what he did to his father, right? Ray points mm-hmm. that out to him at the beginning of that movie. You know, you still can't stop seeing what you did to your father. It, Mm-hmm. that's the, the almost this weird shared vision they have at the start of episode nine um, where she sees the Sith throne, right? Kind of insinuating what her uh, personal identity is um, mm-hmm. as far as family history. But on the flip side, Ben is also reliving that moment of killing his father. Um, right. And, and, and the, the inner hell that he's been in ever since. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I, I, I really like that point, Laurie, about him kind of even making the point of reconciliation. Um, yeah. So, yeah. And I, 
Oh, go, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, I wonder if, um, I think it almost has to happen in the story for them to be this two sides of the same coin. Like both of them have to have their reconciliation in order for there to be a reconciliation of the force in general. Mm -hmm. Um, That's all I was going to say. Like it has to happen for both of them. Yeah. Well, can I, so we've done a lot of just grand looks right now. (laughs) Um, Can, can, so just to, just to kind of look at the journey and and maybe like that linear way, where, Mm -hmm. where would you typically say like a heroine's journey begins? Like what, what's the start? What's, what does that process look like as you begin that process? Just like any narrative, it it begins with the everyday life. So in Star Wars, we meet Rey and she is scavenging and she is trying to survive. And and there's this idea that this is what her life is like. This is how it's been. And sure, she's been wondering who her parents are and all these things. And you get to find those things out. But this is her everyday life. Um, And nothing is nothing is quite extraordinary nothing is challenging her status quo really okay so is there again i'm just i'm i'm i understand the hero's journey more because it's what we've seen a lot more of on camera and i'm a Mm -hmm. um but so right like we know that for the start of a hero's journey also begins kind of in that ordinary life but it always starts with that that like um that yearning, right? That yearning for something, yeah. more, right? And that's that that iconic scene of Luke Skywalker, you know, in 1977, looking at those twin sunsets. You know, that's that's the start of his hero's journey. Is is sure. like longing for something more. Is that is that part of the heroine's journey as well? Is when we start there, does the the heroine also have like that yearning for something more, or or not? Um, I think that she does, but I also think that part of her part of the heroine's journey is not expecting things to change. Um, and I think for her, her heroine's journey starts when I think it's BB eight shows up, right? Mm-hmm. She meets BB eight before yes. she meets Finn. Right. That's when it really begins. So there's certainly a sense of longing and yearning, but I think with the hero's journey, there is an intention to eventually leave the status quo And I think with the heroine's journey, that doesn't have to be existing. And when I think about it from a feminist perspective, for a lot of women in oppressive scenarios, there is a hope to eventually get out, but there isn't necessarily a, um, uh, an active understanding or belief that you can. Um, and so of course now when thinking about real life situations, many times that the women get out in various different ways, but in the narrative, there's there's this understanding that that she is just going to be on Jakku. She's just going to be scavenging probably for the rest of her life. And the and what happens is something happens that forces her hand to move out of it because otherwise, because she hasn't reconciled herself yet, she probably wouldn't have moved out on her own. Um, because she still is also stuck there because she's her lack of reconciliation is part of her family. Like she thinks her family's coming back and she has to reconcile part of that journey first. And so BB eight forces her out of the status quo. Um, I'm sure there are people who can give me examples of heroine's journeys where that doesn't happen, but I wouldn't say it's quintessential to the heroine's journey okay. to, ch- to choose to leave. Got it. 
Yeah. So, right. Like I think it's interesting because the, the right before she meets BB eight, we get that again, that's episode seven does a great job when she's introduced to even just, it's, it's probably a matter of five minutes, but in those five minutes, we get a real sense of what her life looks like, the mundanity mm-hmm. of it, the harshness of it. And as she's sitting outside of her ATAT home, you know, she's looking mm-hmm. at the horizon as this ship is taking off. And I think those of us, right, who who grew up with Star Wars, that immediately makes us think of Luke looking at the the suns, assuming that she's yearning. Yeah. But there doesn't seem to be any sense of yearning there. The music doesn't tell us that she's yearning, right? Like that was um, just I think very interestingly in that original shot of Luke looking at the twin suns, the music that John Williams had composed initially was thrown out by George Lucas. He said, no, I actually, this is a hopeful moment because the original music is very melancholy because John Williams saw that as a moment of like Luke just feeling very melancholy, like, damn it, I'm still stuck here at home. Um, But George Lucas said, no, this is him looking, believing that there is something more for him. So that's why he used the force theme there, right? That that there's something calling to Luke. But interestingly enough, in that moment, um, if, if again, like I'm, I'm a huge proponent of looking to John Williams music as part of the story narrative as well. Um, the music uh-huh. in that moment is still, it's just a carryover of just the, the, the simple, uh, uh, kind of chimes like music that is just setting up her life. Like, I, I don't think she's looking at that ship thinking like, Oh, I wish that was me. It, there's nothing there that says that. But then what abruptly interrupts that experience is she hears BB-8's like kind of screams for help. And she just instinctively yeah. runs to to the rescue, right? Like there's the what that establishes isn't necessarily that she's looking to leave, but what it does establish is that there's an innate desire to just do the good, to do the good, right? To do the right thing. Yeah. I'm um, thinking back to that moment and I wouldn't even necessarily say that she doesn't want to leave, but like for her, it's more like wondering, like her driving force in that moment is waiting for her parents. Mm -hmm. It's the belief that her parents will return to her. So, and so much of that movie is her being like, well, I'm going to go back to my Jakku because my parents will come back for me someday. So it's more like, I wonder what's out there more than it's, it's even, Oh, one day I'll leave. It's I wonder where my parents are out there or what else is out there. What are the adventures that someday someone will experience, but they're not for her. And I think you're right that like you get a more of a glimpse in that moment of her being kind. than you get this idea of her being um, uh, an executor of her own narrative at that point, because that's right. That's the point of the hero's journey. Heroine's journey is then the woman the heroine becomes the executor of her own narrative at the end of the story and is learning to become the executive of her own narrative. Whereas Luke, if I'm remembering correctly, like he chooses to leave. He's not for his hand. Isn't really forced to leave. I know his aunt and uncle are killed, but he could have stayed. And then Ben offers to take him away. Right. Yeah. I mean, so Ben offers to, to take him. He refuses because he feels obligated to stay with his family, but then his family mm-hmm. is killed. So he doesn't see anything keeping him there, right? Um, right. So, well, they're not here anymore. I guess I can finally leave. You know, there's not like, right. there's almost a sense of relief. Um, not like that he's happy that they're dead, but there is that sure. sense of relief of the one thing that he felt was holding him there is no longer holding him there. Um, right. And so he's a free agent now. And that's very <laughs> much the hero's journey is like a man is a free agent. Yeah. Um, 
which is, I mean, that that's very much rooted in, um, for, for better or for worse, that's very much rooted in our culture is that's like the up, the uplifted image of, of a masculine is free agent man forging his own path. And Luke gets to go on that journey. Right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so yeah, you're right. Cause like, even though Ray kind of hops into, Oh, I'm going to look after this droid. She doesn't really even want it. Right. Like then BB wants to follow her and she's no, <laughs> don't follow me. Yeah. Um, she doesn't really want, um, I feel like what I get from her is a little bit like she doesn't want her status quo to be disrupted. Um, and I think that that is, that that's the heroine's journey specifically. And again, like when I say woman, man, hero, heroine, like these are not like binary terms. Like you can easily have a man be in these situations or anything like that. Like it's not about, it's not about people's uh, sex identification as much as it is about like understanding the differences between uh, between what what our society puts or uplifts as a male narrative versus a female narrative, and how the female narrative ex- experience experienced differently because the experience of the feminine is different. Um, but I think that uh, she doesn't want that disruption. Her hand is forced to have a disruption of her status quo, and BB-8 is pushing her in that direction. And then ultimately, she doesn't leave she only leaves because she's getting chased by stormtroopers, right? Like right. she doesn't actually want to even leave right in the beginning. Right. So it's 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 a point of survival to get out. Um not even so much a point of being like I want to go on a journey. It's an an escape in mm. the original. Yeah. In the beginning. Yeah. That's true. And and twice right when she's is that big that journey begins you know she has that conversation with finn while she's trying to fix the falcon you know she's like i've got to get back to jakku like i'll help you get this droid to the resistance but then i've got to get back to jakku and then you know 10 minutes later they bump into han and they have a little adventure together then han offers her a place on the crew nope i've got to get mm-hmm. back to jakku right like we're yeah. through half of the movie at this point and she's twice kind of rebuffed like the invitation to adventure and then it kind of comes to this culmination where She's in the bowels of this castle and has this force vision, um, you know, mm-hmm. sees herself being left on Jakku, uh, sees Kylo Ren, which, right, I think establishes the fact that they are in some way connected. Um, mm-hmm. And she's and then she hears the whisper of, of Obi-Wan Kenobi saying, these are your first steps. And she's offered the Skywalker lightsaber that's calling to her, right? It, it's it's choosing right. her. So. Lori, you you probably don't know this because I know you're not like super invested in Star Wars, the Clone Wars TV series, for instance. But something that that show taught us was that when a Jedi goes to construct their lightsaber, they 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 have to acquire what's called a kyber crystal. And the kyber crystal is unique to each Jedi. It calls to you. It kind of sings mm-hmm. a song to you. And it's it, you have to go through a trial in order for it to, to call your kind of call your name. But for whatever. So we that's where we were kind of given this. Um, this part of the narrative that a lightsaber could call to you. And the fact mm-hmm. that the Skywalker lightsaber, the one that was Anakin's and then Luke's now is calling to Ray, right? That's it. It's telling us that the force is, has got kind of these big plans for her. And she still says no. Right. <laughs> she actively runs out of the castle. Um, right. Yeah. 
and I think that that um, the resistance to the journey, I think, is essential for the heroine's journey as well, because she can't. Um, I think it has so much more to do with like the adventure is the act of liberation for the heroine. And as just like any other member of an oppressed group, women are very quick to avoid our, our heroine's journeys. And this is one of the reasons why I think the heroine journey has been utilized in so much um, uh, liberation work is because it, to understand, to understand that we need to engage with our journey or our adventure is a big part of, um, of justice is just like is claiming that journey. And so she's running away from it. Um, because she's, because that's, too, it feels like too much of a task. Like going on these adventures is for Luke Skywalker. It's for Han Solo. And even though she's surrounded by all these amazing people who are saying, come on this adventure, come on this journey with me. She is like, has imposter syndrome about it almost where it's like, no, no, I need to go back home. That that's where I'm supposed to be. Whereas, like, I think it's important to parallel it to Luke because Luke doesn't, has no moment of imposter syndrome. He's like, yep, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And um, it's just cool to compare the two narratives together. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and well, and it's also, uh, yeah, I mean, I think it, it's so easy to compare her journey to, to Luke's um, because they're the two stories that are closest together. But um, mm-hmm. I've actually been rewatching the entire saga one, one movie a day. Um, and I'm almost cool. done. I have, I have episode nine left. That's it. Um, uh-huh. and I'm actually finding her story to be much more congruent with Anakin's than with Luke's. Interesting. Um, Anakin like her grew up uh, like in a way she's kind of an indentured servant there on Jakku. Mm-hmm. Um, Anakin grows up as a slave. Um, right. Mm-hmm. Like, so, um, and then finds out that he has some great destiny. Now, gr- granted he's quick to, hop into it. Um, but Ray is also somebody who just thinks she's nobody. Um, mm-hmm. and right. Luke is told right from the beginning by Ben Kenobi, your father was once a Jedi Knight like me. Like, Oh shit, mm-hmm. that's pretty cool. <laughs> like, um, Anakin yeah. has no blood tie to anything spectacular. He's just told that he's spectacular. Um, mm-hmm. and Ray's kind of learning something very powerful here in, in force awakens that there's something special about her. Um, and she doesn't ultimately say yes until the end of that movie. Um, and it's mm-hmm. to me, it's because of what's going on with Finn. She's finally, um, and even with Han, um, she, for the mm-hmm. first time, has people that choose her, right? Um, yeah. It, how, I mean, does that, is, is any of that part of the heroine's journey? Like the fact that, you know, right? So like, you know, you were saying, obviously, like her biggest desire there is simply waiting for her family. Um I don't think she's for much of her life has had people care about her since her parents left. Right. Um, but now you've got Finn who comes to rescue her from prison. She's been imprisoned by the monster um, mm-hmm. and Hans with him, you know, right. So th- these folks come to rescue her now in a way she doesn't need it. She's already kind of freed herself. Um, but these people still came back for her, which I think is right. She's waiting for people to come back for her and, that's somewhat happening. Yeah. Um, I think it is, but I think that the reason that's so key is at the very end of the ninth episode, when she comes back, uh, 
Finn and what is that man's name? Poe. The other Poe. Oh, uh, who? Poe. Yeah. yeah. Hug her. Yeah. And she is in this embrace of family at the end of her journey. But that's kind of like that hug is like the reward for reconciling herself at the end. So while I think that, yes, it's a very important part of her story that she is people coming back to her, but I don't think that she's going to, and and it it doesn't seem like it happens in, in the three movies. She doesn't see that as her family until after she's reconciled, um, herself with her dark, dark and light selves. Um, because until then, um, she's still focused on, you know, finding who her family is back in Jakku. In fact, her focus is consistently back at Jakku. I mean, I would say until, I mean, I could, I'd have to rewatch the movie. They have like the exact point, but I think it's almost until she finds out who her grandfather is, um, which that's, is that, that that's not that's in the ninth movie it is in the ninth yeah, movie but like, is that in the beginning of the ninth it's movie? kind of like smack in the middle okay yeah all right so yeah it, until then i think then she's able to reconcile the idea because even when she the, she thinks her parents are nobodies she still has this yearning to find out who she is and that the only point of reference for that is her memory of being being left at jaku but once she knows who her grandfather is now she's able to start battling. That's when, that's when her internal battle becomes like so clear and, and, and her primary focus in her character development. And I think the important thing is she, her friendships are not going to help her make that reconciliation In the hero's journey, the people around the hero help them defeat the big bad. But in the heroine's journey, she must defeat the big bad on her own. Um, and so she, and, the, and the big bad in, in Star Wars for her is not really the Sith. It's the fact that the Sith is her grandfather. She must reconcile that before, um, before she can really engage with the community around her. Um, it's her own journey on her own. Because obviously uh, Ben helps her defeat the Sith in the end. Um, but she cannot defeat the Sith. Well, barely. Even he, with he barely right. helps. <laughs> <laughs> he barely. But she cannot. He cannot defeat the Sith. The, none of that would have been able to happen if she doesn't have that moment where she realizes that she has the power to defeat um, darkness already on her own, and then she's able to engage with the people around her. And I think the key reason why the the heroines a feminist heroine's narrative is so key is that under patriarchal structures, um, the, the man traditionally, or uh, the idea is that the masculine is taught how to defeat, um, that they are able to forge their own path, whereas she needs to learn that she can forge her own path. And that's, I think the, the journey that every woman needs to go on within a patriarchal structure is that we can do it on our own versus I know I can do it on my own, but I'm going to going to accept this help as well is something that I think for most for the most part, and that this is a vast generalization, 
is that uh, the masculine is able to do it already on its own um, or is taught they can do it on their own. Mm -hmm. And then it's nice to ask for help. Got it. Um, so I want to back up before we kind of get to that, that pinnacle point at the end of mm -hmm. nine there. Um, because honestly, kind of what, it, what where I even got the idea of like, wow, I really want to have you on the podcast because you, mm -hmm. you told me that you were rewatching the movies, um, in light of our conversation that we had, you know, a couple months ago. And yeah. you sent me this text saying how the thing that you really appreciated in Last Jedi is that ultimately she's just looking for her place. Right. Yeah. She's looking for her place in the story. Um, that's what she confesses to Luke. And because Luke's not giving it to her, she thinks Ben's going to help her find it out. Right. Well, Kylo in that moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but. Um, yeah. Oh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, can you can you kind of maybe so does is that seg, is that segment that part of her journey? Is that part of the traditional heroine's journey? Um, I don't know. I think it could be argued that it is. I think because, because like I keep saying, like it's about her discovering herself. It's not about her community around her. I think that it makes a lot of sense to me that she doesn't yet. She definitely has loyalty to, um, to, to the, the resistance. If that's, that's not under question, but the, the idea that it's like, and I don't think that she would have ever, I don't really think that she would have ever turned, even though she's very tempted to. I think it is very foundational in her character to be good. Like, like you even said with BB-8, like to be, to, to fight for what is right, to, to make the right choice. Um, but I think that she's not really worried about having to go into the darkness to find out who she is. And the heroine's journey requires a journey into the darkness. Um, because I think in, um, in a traditional heroine's journey, it's like descending to the goddess. And um, I think she needs to go down. She needs to go into the darkness to see if who she is, is there in order to be able to, to reconcile the light and the darkness. So she has, she has to go to Ben and, and, and she does it even more deeply in episode nine. But, um, but for her, if she were to just reject Ben and not interact with him at all, she never would have realized the two balances needed to be reconciled. Mm. Um, she would have constantly just been pushing away that other side of her. And like, I think that's true in like all people, like we can't push away our darkest selves. We need to say, hi, I know I, I recognize you and, and this is where you get to be in my life. Um, she needs to also be able to do that with the dark force is say like, that is a part of who I am that is calling to me and I need to give it space. And Luke doesn't want her to do that. Right. Um, cause he's afraid of it, but, uh, she must descend into the darkness in order to be able to, um, to resurrect, which is a very heroine's journey piece. She needs to do it. So Yes, I think that her going to Ben is part of it. Um, for me, I think the deepest descent is is with the Sith in Episode Nine. But she needs to start dancing with darkness at some point. Yeah, right. Well, I mean, in obviously, like the she gets she gets a Force vision and Force Awakens, and then she gets 
the force mirror cave in episode eight, right? Mm-hmm. Where she does act, she's actively pulled down, right? She's, she's peering into what looks like a cosmic butthole. It's a very weird <laughs> aesthetic look in my opinion, um, but she's looking down into this, this place that Luke was terrified. She even was willing to go. She's pulled uh-huh. down into it and all that she wants, right? It, it, it's very Harry. I don't know Harry Potter super well, but it's very much like that Harry mm-hmm. Potter mirror where you can ask it whatever you want. Um, right. So she's pulled mm-hmm. down there. We see, you know, an infinite number of rays, like all these infinite possibilities mm-hmm. of who she could be. And they all sum up to this one question of show me my parents, right? Please. Mm-hmm. And all she sees is herself. Mm-hmm. Right. And so mm-hmm. kind of with so much of what you're saying, I think that works so so perfectly because at the end of the day, the darkness is showing her a truth there. You're mm-hmm. what you need, right? She's, she's, because Ben points out to her in episode eight, like you, you know, your greatest weakness is you keep looking for your parents and, and everyone around you in Han now and Luke, you know, it's your greatest mm-hmm. weakness. Um, you know, you, you don't need them. You need you. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, yeah. So I, I think that that plays in quite well there. Um, but that movie ends with her thinking that she is a nobody, Right. Um, right. That's what's kind of revealed to her when she goes to Ben. Um, you know, I saw your parents and, and she obviously knows it. Right. This is something that's very new in Star Wars is it's almost like there's this repressed memory there for Ray. Right. Kylo mm-hmm. makes her say it in episode eight. You're like, you, you know who your parents are. Go on, say it. And she, nobody. They were nobody. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then he says, yeah, they, you know, filthy junk traders that sold you for drinking money. Um, mm-hmm. So her narrative halfway through there is that. She's nobody. Her parents didn't love her. Um, and they were nobody. And, and uh-huh. in that moment, right? Like it's this very powerful moment between her and Kylo. Cause Kylo saying, you know, you, you have no part in this story. You don't matter, but you do to me. Right. So he is, mm-hmm. which, you know, uh, there's been a lot of comments about how messed up that comment is. I think in some ways Ben <laughs> is trying to affirm her. He's just, he's trying to say that, you know, in the grand scheme of things, you don't really matter, but I, but I see that you do. Right. So while it's kind of a crappy thing to say, I think in his his own twisted, broken sense of self, he is offering her some sense of love there. Um, yeah. Um, does he is he lying to her? Remind me, does he know who her 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 parents are so again, in truth or does he think that he does think that in eight. he he so they share this vision together when they touch hands across space and time. Right. Is that very mm-hmm. powerful moment? And then Luke walks in and, you know, like your parents walking in on you when you're having something with you know your high school boys uh, yeah <laughs> but uh breaks it up and uh but right there they they share this vision there too where she says i i saw that you won't stand with snoke you know you you're gonna stand yeah. against him and he says well i saw who your parents were um so it seems that he doesn't have the full truth there and that's what he reveals to her in episode nine as he says i now i know the whole story they were nobody because they chose to be right. Like they're trying mm-hmm. to keep her safe because they know who her grandfather is and he's hunting for her. So they, right. they sh- you know, her father who is, we learned this in the novel. It's not in the movie. Her father is actually just a clone of the emperor. So he's not a direct mm. descendant. So she in a weird way is the direct descendant of a clone of the emperor. Um, so again, <laughs> that's not shared in the movie, but the, the novel is Canon using Star Wars language here. Um, so, mm-hmm. so it is, it's, it's kind of a weird thing, but you know, clones have been a huge part of star Wars since the prequels. Sure. Um, but so the reality is, is her, her actual father chose to shed the name Palpatine as a way of keeping her safe. And somehow, like I, I'm sure at some point in, in the, 
Disney Star Wars era, we're going to get the story of how Ray's father met her mother and they fell in love and created Ray. Yeah. Um, so we don't have yeah. that story, but we know that he chose to be nobody, right? He chose to shed the name Palpatine because uh-huh. he did not want his daughter to be found. Okay. Um, yeah. So there's um, some backstory for you that, you know, again, the common audience doesn't know. And that's that I will say is, I will always say this, that if the movie, if it's not in the movie, it failed, <laughs> you know? Uh-huh. Um, so, so I think there are things that they, they could have been more explicit within the movie still. Um, you shouldn't have to mm. read a book to know that. Right. Um, so. No, that makes sense. But I think that, that him, him not knowing when he says, but you mean something to me mm-hmm. is, is a significant shift between, um, between what it can mean and what it, it can't mean. So I think that if he had known who her parents really were, it's an act of manipulation. But if he doesn't really know who they are, then it's really him saying like, he's really making a comment about the power of the force inside of her, which is kind of what I've always seen it as. It's like, you mean something to me because you have so much power because he doesn't just want to date her. Right. He wants to rule with her. Right. And that is, um, I think that's an important, important factor. He doesn't see her just as someone he can love, but he sees her as someone he can conquer with because of her power. Um, and so, I, yeah, I don't, I mean, I don't know if if, what your, I don't remember exactly what your question is, but I don't necessarily see Ben. I see Ben as just as much of a lost soul as Ray is. Mm -hmm. And I think that he, he's trying his best to hold on to what power he can while also, um, following his pull towards Ray, which is good. Like it ultimately is the other side of the coin. It's, it's the good parts of the force. And he, he doesn't really know how to do that. Um, and the only thing that he, I think that he can understand at that moment seems to be like, well then let's just rule together. Um, and not, um, and it doesn't matter her lineage because, it just doesn't matter. It, it matters that she's powerful too and that they can be powerful together. Right. But, but she rejects that, right? <laughs> so yeah. She, oh no. Yeah, yeah, of course. Um, she rejects it and then she's going to reject it again, um, in the beginning and in the middle of episode nine, when he kind of extends mm-hmm. that hand again. Um, right. So, so is her rejection of that is, is her rejection of that invitation to kind of be part of this patriarchal, patriarchal power system is that in any way part of explicitly the heroine's journey or um not exactly um yes i mean i think it's part of her heroine's journey got it um i think that she is offered the chance to i mean if she were to join kylo um in that moment she wouldn't she right now she's like on all light side and he's saying, come join all dark. And the reality is, is that, that, that she can't choose light or dark because both of those things are a part of who she is. And so if she were to choose, so currently being in the light is, is rejecting her lineage. And, current, and being in the uh, dark would be rejecting the, good, the goodness of herself. And she can't do that either. 
So, um, I, I would, I mean, I can certainly see an example of a heroine's journey that doesn't include a possibility of being sucked into the darkness. Um, but I think it's necessary that she does not choose 100% good or 100% evil that, that she ends up having a reconciliation of the two. Um, I think that that's essential to her journey. Right. Yeah. Um, so because, again, so the, the original six movies, which are, you know, the mm-hmm. first story is about Anakin. The second story is about Luke. Um, it's ultimately – so the, the, the whole prequel story is ultimately how everything falls apart. And the reason it falls apart in in part is because Anakin is being so suppressed by the Jedi Council, like the, the, the ruling mm-hmm. party, which for all intents and purposes, uh, all we ever see on screen, really, the only vocal parts of that council are always men. Um, there are women uh-huh. on the Jedi Council, but we never hear them speak in the movies. Um, mm-hmm. Right. So Anakin is constantly being suppressed. He's told that, you know, Jedi are told that they can't have emotional attachment. Um, that's mm-hmm. why he has to get married in secret, which obviously creates all the problems for him. Luke mm-hmm. also, though, realizes that, you know, um, he has to um, conquer the darkness, right? He has to he has to conquer the dark. That's what he's kind of being trained for in Empire Strikes Back. It's what he's kind of told by Ben Kenobi in Return of the Jedi. Like, you've got to you've got to defeat Darth Vader. But Luke sees another mm-hmm. way, right? He sees a different way where, well, I'll confront him, but I'm going to confront him with love. That's you know that's the that pinnacle point for Luke's journey is when he throws away his lightsaber and says, "I'm a Jedi like my father before me." Right? He he rejects the tool of violence. Um, mm-hmm. and, and chooses to put on this compassionate love. And that's what brings Anakin back. Um, but there's still like wrapped up in that uh, some level of rejection of darkness. Um, mm-hmm. and, and I think that's kind of what we're being offered with the story of Ray is a reconciliation of that. Right. Um, right. We were told in episode one that there needs to be balance in the force. We're told in Last Jedi that the actions of return of the Jedi did bring it back for a time, but then things fell out of balance again when Ben Mm -hmm. chooses to become Kylo Ren. And yeah. And what does it really mean to bring balance? Well, quite simply put, you don't have to be a star Wars fan to think that balance would mean holding them in tension. Right. Right. (laughs) Um, And that's the lesson Luke is teaching Ray. And that first lesson he gives her, which is so beautiful is he's trying to just teach her what the force is. And it's ultimately it's balance. It's this tension between all of life, between life and death right. itself. Um, right. And then we have that beautiful mosaic in, in the first Jedi temple of this perfectly balanced Jedi. Um, that's light right. and dark. They are one in the same. Um, and that's, yeah, that's really where it seems like Ray's journey is going. So how would you understand, right? Cause I think just culturally speaking, we are, we just inevitably think, Ooh, dark side, bad, evil. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, what is let's let's affirm it can you affirm why the darkness is also good right because i think we're so conditioned <laughs> to think that the darkness is something inherently evil but if balance has to exist it can't be evil so what then is like let's affirm the darkness what does that mean do you think uh i mean what i'm getting from luke is that it's life and death like the light like the like good the good light side of the force is life and the dark side of the force is death and and the reason why death isn't bad 
is because death requires life and life requires death. Um, you know, if any of us ate anything today, we ate something that died mm. um, so that yeah. we could stay alive, um, whether it be a plant or an animal. And, um, and in majority of religions, and I'm not going to say this, I, you know, I'm sure somebody is a member of some religion that I'm not, a, not totally, you know, educated on, but, you know, it's can say predominantly in Christianity, like there is a requ- requirement of a death in order for there to be new life. And so does it mean that death is 100% bad? Um, no. Does it mean that life is 100% good? no, um, we need to have, um, we need to have that life, death, life, death, resurrection, life, death, resurrection cycle. Um, so I feel like in it for the reason why the imbalance is bad is because, uh, is because it is all destruction. I mean, I'm even thinking about that face and she sees her dark, like ruling self. And she has like these fangs and like, she's terrifying. That person is all complete death. There can be no life there. But then if we, as we see in like so many ways that we try to preserve in our own culture, like, um, to the point where things just need to pass away and we're just trying to like put things on life support and then they end up often falling apart. Um, I think that we need to also embrace the reality that like, that is just a natural part of life. Does it, does it hurt? Does it suck? Absolutely. Um, but sometimes I think we've all been part of experiences where it's like, well, that organization should have fallen apart sooner or that, um, this play should have ended quicker or like this book (laughs) should, they shouldn't have written another season. Like sometimes the end is necessary um, in order for there to be um, good things to bloom around it. Um, Yeah. So that would be why I think the reconciliation is necessary. And um, yeah, that would be my argument for the dark side. I love it. Um, actually, so I, I just watched Turn of the Jedi just the other day and the moment right b- before Yoda dies, it's so beautiful because Yoda, Yoda is the opposite of the emperor in some ways. Um, uh-huh. and you can almost through some expanded material, you've come to see that Yoda is actually someone who is in balance. Um, mm. but when Yoda is getting ready to die, Luke says, master Yoda, you can't die. And his response is strong. Am I in the force, but not that strong. Um, and mm. you know, Twilight is upon me. Soon night must come. That is the way of things, the way of the force. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So he's not mourning that he's about to die. He's accepting it. And then he becomes one with the force. Um, You know? Yeah. um, So, right. It's kind of the opposite of what the emperor is. The emperor is, you know, as as episode nine opens, we see him literally on life support. Um, I like that example you literally brought in there, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's being kept alive by machines. Um, and ultimately yeah. the only way he can come back fully to life is to basically possess another soul, right? His, his initial mm-hmm. thought was to possess Ben Solo. Um, but when that falls through, he then sets his sights to Ray again. Um, mm-hmm. right. So his only way of maintaining life is through the possession and using of another. Um, that's, that's not natural. Um, whereas Yoda right. naturally accepts that death is part of life. Um, and mm-hmm. understands that it's a good part of life, 
um, in -hmm. some ways, right? Like, right. Like it's not easy. It's not fun. It sucks, but it also, you know, it, it, again, I can only speak intelligently from a Christian context, but we as Christian people don't believe that that is the end all be all either. What that looks like. I don't want to get into that conversation because I don't, I don't (laughs) think it's heavenly clouds. I think it's something far more, uh, subtle than we can possibly describe, but uh-huh. That being said, we we are uh, a, at least a Christian people believes that even death is something natural and it's not the end of a story, right? Uh, right. So, yeah. Sorry, I kind of got a, a little sidetracked there. <laughs> no, I'm I'm down talking theology too. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, but so to kind of just then, well, to to bring the to bring her kind of story full circle, right? You know, y- you were telling me that kind of the pinnacle point towards the end, the climactic point of the heroine's journey is that descent to the goddess and encountering the goddess. And yeah, the point you told me that that happened just blew my mind. Okay. Um, so I want you to talk about that because it blew my mind. And, and, and I, cause I, this particular moment you pointed out happens to be one of my favorite moments in the entire sequel trilogy. Um, so I love that your interpretation of that moment. Yeah, I'm going through my text to see exactly what I said. Um, <laughs> so I know what, what you mean. Um, where did you ask me? Well, I can just tell you. Did she? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Tell me what I said and then I can so, talk about it. Well, I said, you know, does does Rey encounter the goddess? And you said yes. Yeah. When she hears the the voices of the Jedi who've gone before. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So I think like um, I think the way you phrased it was just she encounter the mother. Oh right. And I think yeah. that it can be very confusing when um, when we say the mother because obviously the mother in Star Wars is Leia. Yes. It's not. It's not. Um, yeah, that's it. But Leia is not the goddess. I mean, she's a goddess, but she's not <laughs> the goddess right. in, in the narrative. <laughs> um, <laughs> she is. Um, She's more like a wise voice for her, um, for Ray on her journey. But, um, but the goddess is, is inside of Ray. And I think the descent of the goddess, if taken literally, like through the narrative of like Persephone, she goes into hell and she, but, but Persephone finds out that she is the goddess of the underworld in Persephone's narrative. And Ray also finds out that she is the, she is the force. She is the, um, she has all the power she need in the lineage of the Jedi that are behind her, but then also within herself. So it does not require her to get help from someone else. She needs to reconcile the fact that she is a part of the lineage, not just of the good, good sides of the force, but also the bad sides of the force and that that all exists inside of her. And that energy is what can defeat the Sith. And so for me, that's, that's her encounter with the goddess is the encounter with herself. And I would argue that's the encounter with the self in every heroine's narrative. I think that that's the essential part of a heroine's story is, is that. Wow. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting. Cause I, I never, I mean, obviously I didn't think that that moment at all. I just, I thought again, this is in the context of that moment. It's like, Oh, right. Cause episode nine opens with her, floating in meditation and she's right. This beautiful mantra, be with me, um, mm-hmm. which uh, I've, I've talked about this in the show, I think in the, in, in the past, but it's because I, I've started to use that mantra very much in my prayer. Um, I find it very mm. beautiful. Um, and right. So she opens the story, like the episode nine opens with her trying to connect to them, 
Well, who's the one instructing mm-hmm. her to do that? The mother, you know, Leia. Mm-hmm. Leia's the one, you know. Yeah. I'm starting to think it's not possible to connect with the, the, the Jedi who've gone before. And Leia's response is nothing's impossible. Right. So obviously Leia's, mm-hmm. Leia's, Leia's part is so many of us know was going to be so much bigger if not for the passing of, of Carrie. And again, right. I, I just commend JJ Abrams on taking what little bit of footage they still had left unused and working it as well as he did. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly not perfect, but it is pretty damn close in my opinion. Um, mm. but, but right. It's what's established at the start of that, that ninth chapter is that she is now in the tutelage of Leia, which I think so many of us love, you know, when she calls her master, it's, Oh, it's just awesome. <laughs> um, but mm-hmm. this is the mother like figure encouraging her to connect to them. There's a point in that. Yeah. Well, I think and I don't know Leia's whole backstory as much as you and your listeners would probably know it, but I can't imagine in Leia's narrative that she hasn't had her own heroine's journey where she encountered her inner goddess through probably the lens of, of connecting to the Jedi as well, if we're staying in the world of the story. So um, she, she must also be saying, keep with it. Not necessarily because she is the mother goddess, but because she's like, I know you can connect to the mother goddess, mm-hmm. uh, even though she's not using that word. And that's that's the literary term. But like she can connect to to the Jedi as well and hold that force and that power within herself. Um, she like Ray has that power. And and also like notice Leia isn't. It's interesting because Leia isn't saying, no, this is what you have to do or this is how you do it. She's just saying, go do it mm. and you'll figure it out on your own. She's not because because, again, like there's no way Leia is going to be able to do it by following instruction or being invited to do it. She has to almost Ray has to be almost pushed to 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 discover it. And it's either going to be through a lot of meditation in the middle of the woods or it's going to be in an encounter with the Sith, but it, it has to, she just has to keep trying to connect until it happens. I love that. So that's, and yeah. And, and she comes out of that experience uh, with a sense of who she is, right? Like, well, she announces, mm-hmm. I am all the Jedi. Yes, um, exactly. And that's not like, she's not possessed by the Jedi. She just is all the Jedi. Um, Right. Like it's not, it's right. If I'm tell me if I'm remembering that wrong, but it is still very much Ray. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that it is right. Um, so again, this, this was something weirdly new that was introduced very last minute in episode nine insofar as the Sith. But when Palpatine's, you know, the emperor says like, Oh, I am all the Sith. They all live in me now. Like it's almost like they're these Mm -hmm. demons. That was never introduced before episode nine. I still find it a little silly, but it works, right? Like, of course, the Sith mm-hmm. is always about possession. Um, it's mm-hmm. always about kind of taking someone's sense of self and just using it. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah. right, no, it's not Ray saying like, oh, now they all like, there's all these little Jedi spirits living in me. No, it's not that. Right. Um, she is in some ways to me, almost the fullness of everything they've ever been. Right. Um you know, uh, so she kind of, she kind of encapsulates the spirit of the Jedi, the balanced Jedi. Um, right. Exactly. So, yeah. And, and again, so if, if just to plug in the music again here really quick, 
right when she kind of comes out of that experience, the music in that experience also is just very beautiful that John Williams is he's playing very chime like music again, just in Western thinking, that's very heavenly music. Mm-hmm. right? So yeah, there's exactly. some, something divine, something transcendent is happening in that, in that moment. But when she stands up, it's this triumphant statement of her theme, right? It's her music yeah. that is being played. Um, cool. So, yeah. Um, yeah, that's awesome. So, yeah. What do you, how do you interpret? Um, so, I, you already said this, like, so her coming back then to Finn and Poe and, and, and kind of joining in that embrace. Uh-huh. Um, she's now reconciled herself. What is, how would you define that reconciliation? Why is she reconciled? Does that, um, make, is that, is that question, is that a good question? Like, does that make sense? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it makes sense. How is she reconciled? Well, she now understands that she's all the Jedi, right? She understands that she is a combination of the good and the bad. She's balanced completely. And, um, and I know, and this is making me think about the the desire for the relationship between Ben and Ray, and that that Ben doesn't make it, which um, I kind of like. Um, I think that it's it's good that she is walking out of that cave by herself. Um, that she has um, that she is fully and completely standing on her own as she journeys out of the cave. She does it on her own. She's powerful, but at the same time nobody it can can be the lone wanderer really we all need one another and so she comes back to them and that embrace happens in a way where she's hugging them in a way that she was never hugging them before because she's not looking for anything from them she's just hugging them and i think that this is like a uh, an important part of like life in general is like we cannot we cannot get our completion from other people we can only um we can only have our encounters with one another. I mean, I'm sorry. I, I, I misstepped what I was saying. We cannot get what we need or our completion from one another. We need to get our completion from ourselves. And when we have our completion in ourselves, that's when we can fully love the other. And so I think that that moment when she hugs them, it's, it's a way that she's hugging them that says like, I'm so happy I'm home. I'm so happy I'm safe. I'm so happy I'm with you. But um, at the same time saying that um that that she is still her independent self am i making sense absolutely okay cool yes um so i have one final question for you then cool Um, because it's 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 been a bit um of contention for a lot of folks um Mm -hmm. so that final moment of hers right so there is kind of this little epilogue in episode nine, yeah. where she goes back to Tatooine, where she goes back to the, mm-hmm. the, the, you know, the, the farmstead where Luke grew up, um, buries Luke and Leia's lightsabers and then takes the name Skywalker. What mm-hmm. do you think of that moment? Um, and, and be completely honest. Cause I know in some, like, yeah. you've, you've voiced to me that you don't know that it works, but you can see how it works. So I, I just kind of want to hear what your thoughts are. Yeah. So I, I, if I were writing it, <laughs> I would have said, that she is just Ray and just left it just being Ray. Um, and I think when we were first talking at the coffee shop and you were, you were explaining to me the story, I was like, well, show, no, she should have been Palpatine. That's, that's who she is. Um, but then at, at the end of the movie, I really wanted her to just be like, I'm just Ray. 
because she is just Ray. Like she, and, and then in a way it being like, she's reconciled the fact that she is, she is in between these two worlds. She's in between the world of Palpatine and Skywalker and that ultimately she's the, she's the Jedi. She's the only Jedi left and she is the embodiment of the good and the bad walking through. Um, I don't hate that she becomes a Skywalker because I also, I think the best part of that scene is that she ends it on her own. So I love that she hugs Finn and Poe. I love that she has this connection back to her community, but then she goes on this journey where she buries the lightsabers on her own, that she is now stepping out, creating a new journey, um, a, a new narrative, forging that for the Jedi on her own. So her choosing the name Skywalker works because it's definitely honoring the Jedi that have come before her. Um, as she forges this new journey for the Jedi's going forward. But at the same time, I, if I were writing it, I think that would have been a cooler ending. Um, but that's just my opinion. Um, it could definitely be argued into loving Skywalker too. I'm sure. But that was my, when I ended the movie, Mm -hmm. that was my reaction to it. I was like, Oh, that's what I wish. Yeah. That's totally fair. A lot of people did. (laughs) Uh, And a lot of people also said she should have said I'm Ray Palpatine. Um, Yeah. You know, I think it's very clear. So we've now learned from like uh, the behind the scenes documentary that came out with the movie that they were when JJ was initially writing episode seven in his mind, Ray was going to be a Skywalker in some way, shape or Mm. form. Um, you know, how that all looked, we, we don't know. We'll probably know in the next 20 years, you know, as those things, you know, there are certain things they're probably still keeping close to the vest, um, that eventually will get revealed. Um, but it's very clear, right? I mean, if you go back to episode seven, the Skywalker lightsaber is calling her name, right? Like that's the one calling to her. So he kind of established in episode seven in some way, shape or form that she is part of this Skywalker narrative. So that's why I think Mm -hmm. she takes the name more than anything is, um, so, you know, my concern and the reason I wanted to talk to you so much about it was because my concern was, is it, it felt like up through episode eight, they were really starting to be intentional about telling a heroine's journey, which I thought was great. It's, it's important. I mean, it's literally a female character. Why would you just mm-hmm. tell a hero's journey again? Um, but I, my concern was, you know, like, oh, gee, she takes the name Ray Skywalker. Does that then diminish it? But when I saw it, I, I was like, all right, I think it works because this is ultimately episodes one through nine is now the Skywalker story. So Mm. I think it's neat that she is, uh, you know, she never knew that she was a Palpatine until a few days before that. Right. Um, Right. So it's never been a part of her in that way. I think she can reconcile it without taking the name, but I feel like her choosing to be a Skywalker in a lot of ways. So, right. So let me point this out really quick. Right. Um, A lot of folks didn't like her, um, uh, taking the name Skywalker because, um, it's kind of this rejection of, of her actual family, but that never Mm -hmm. really was her family. Um, Mm -hmm. and I think that, well, well, and people liked the idea that she was a nobody, um, right. Because in, in a kind of a meta narrative way, we were all Ray, like anybody watching it, we get to mm-hmm. be Ray, you know, we're, we're nobodies too. We cut, we can come into the story as a nobody and do something great. So I think mm-hmm. her taking the name Skywalker still kind of upholds and honors the fact that in some way she still was a nobody at the end of the day, she grew up thinking she was nobody, 
right? It doesn't really matter that we end up learning. And maybe it does. Maybe I'm being a little too flippant there. But I think in uh-huh. some ways, too, her taking the name Skywalker tells anyone watching the story that it doesn't matter where you come from. You can be a Skywalker. And in some ways, her being Palpatine, she she comes from the worst possible family. And mm-hmm. yet she can still choose to take the name of the hero, right? Um, and maybe, maybe I shouldn't say hero because then – whoop. Now we're in the heroes. Room. Mm-hmm. I don't know, right? Like, I don't know. So that's that's been my weird way of trying to work it out. Um, I mean, I personally love it. I think it just like just emotionally, evocatively, the way it's delivered and the music playing always makes me tear up. Um, but that that can just be playing on our emotions. It doesn't mean it's a good story choice. Um, mm. But yeah, you know, uh, I think again that if you want to bring this nine part saga home, and you're going to say that it was the Skywalker story, um. I think it's kind of neat to end with a different kind of Skywalker because now in a, in a way, all the actual sure. blood relatives of Skywalkers are now deceased and part of the force, right? Luke's gone. Leia's gone. Ben's gone. Um, so Ray gets to carry that on in a new way. And and I don't know. I even thought of it as like a way of kind of honoring the, the importance of like adopted family, right? Mm-hmm. Um, we can be heirs to something great, even if it's not, you know, it, it makes me think of a lot of Pauline theology in a lot of ways, right? Yeah, we can we can be adopted into the great lineage, right? Um, instead of having to, uh, yeah, instead of having to be born into it. Yeah, I'm I'm very much down with that. I think um, for me, the only and if it is and if we are looking at it as an arc of all nine episodes, then that's true. And I, I'm totally with you when I'm looking at it just through the three episodes of Ray. Um, for me, her journey isn't about being a Skywalker. It's about her being Ray, mm-hmm. which is why I would say that. Uh, but I don't think that those two, those, the two narratives need to live in conflict with each other because her story can be about discovering Ray, whereas all nine can be about, like discovering the story of Skywalker, which is also a very cool story. And you're right. Like at that lend scene, then that ties her story into the lineage of the Skywalkers. It's not just about some random person. It's about this other version of what it means to be Skywalker. Yeah. That's so cool too. Well, even that, right. The, I like the way you just put that, that those two narratives don't have to necessarily be in conflict there's a balance mm. there. And of course, Ray's the one mm-hmm. to provide that balance. So. Yeah. Balance the force, Carl. Balance the force. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. Well, I'm out of questions and I don't, I don't want to take up any more of your time because I know you have a busy day, but um, I don't know. Is, is, is there any, anything else that you feel needs to be said about this? Um, I feel like you did a uh, really good solid walkthrough. So. I mean, the only thing that I'm, I'm thinking about is that need for Ray and Ben to end up together. And I would just say that, I, I mean, I think, like, I get it. Uh, ben Solo is hot. And, like, <laughs> it would be so much fun if there was, like, some hot romance between the two of them. And, like, I totally get it. Um, but for me, I just feel like if we are going to if we're going to make it a love story, then we're not making it a story about Ray. We're making it a story about how Ray fell in love with Ben. And I feel like um, that could be a great story, 
But I would say that's not a feminist heroine's journey. And if what, what a modern day heroine's journey needs to do is to show that love can come once we're reconciled within ourselves. And um, that is like, that's, that's the important part of the narrative. But if we're going to say it's just like a, a romance story, then I, I kind of feel like we're missing out on the opportunity of telling a woman's story standing on her own. And maybe that's my soapbox and I'm okay with that. But like, I want to see women be independent, strong on their own and then fall in love. I don't necessarily want to see them have falling in love being a part of their journey of discovering themselves, because I don't think that's really discovering yourselves. I think that's discovering, but I think that's giving over the empty parts of yourself to another person to fill. So I think that's like my only thought is like, I love that. I love that. I like that he dies. (laughs) not that I want him to die, but I, um, but I like that she ends up standing on her own. And I think that that makes it a more of a positive heroine story for today that she is independent. Mm -hmm. Um, I think that's the only thing that keeps ringing in my head as we were talking beforehand was the, the, the love essentializing romance within a heroine story, I think is problematic. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. No, yeah. Yeah. I, I appreciate that point. Um, and yeah, uh, I, I would make the point that star Wars in a lot of ways is it's always been a love story, but not necessarily a romantic one. Yes. Um, well, because the love story is her going like the love part is the community. It's her Poe and Finn. Those are her, that's the love. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, would you say that there is love in any way between her and Ben? Is, is, is there an element of that there? Um, I, I mean, it's definitely hot. Um, I think <laughs> that it's, <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, there's definitely like, I mean, when, when she first encounters him in episode nine, I remember watching it and being like, Oh, just make out with him, Ray. Like just make out <laughs> with him. Um, but I, that comes into the question of like, what is love? Right. Um, I think that there's definitely a sense of love when he sacrifices, he like, he gives, he like brings her back to life. Mm-hmm. But I think that the love that like, had he stayed alive and had they built this, gotten married and, and lived their life together and, and had that, like that love would have been as deep. I think her love for Finn and Poe is deeper than her love for Ben mm-hmm. because I think that she sees the goodness in Ben and she feels drawn to Ben and those things are great. And those things are the foundations of a lot of good romantic relationships. But what gets a romantic relationship to thrive is, is the, is the, the good, the good connection, having each other's back, um, being there for one another that she has with her friends. Um, she's not romantically physically attracted to her friends and that's okay. Although maybe there's something going on with her and Finn, but there were a couple moments where I was like, are you into Finn? Um, (laughs) But I think like, but that's not like their, um, like their relationship isn't romantic. I think because there are two sides of the same coin, there is a twin flame energy about them that is like draws them together. So sure, if they were able to develop their relationship, it would have turned into some probably some very sweet, beautiful love 
but I don't think we get to see it evolve into something as deep as what she has with her, her chosen family. Gotcha. I love it. Yeah. Um, that's my thoughts. Well, th- they're great. <laughs> Thank you so. Like, <laughs> I'm so happy that you you're willing to do this, and um, you know, I I've been wanting to understand this part of uh, of Ray's story um, really since the start of episode nine, and um, and there there are a lot of narratives going on out there in the Star Wars world about about her story, um. And a lot of really good ones and some of them that don't agree with one another. Um, mm. And the thing that I've appreciated talking with you about this in the past several months is – I was telling you this right before we started recording today. But I kind of like that you're an outside observer in a lot of ways. Like mm. you, you know the story of Star Wars. You've seen them all. You enjoy them for what they are. But you know, you're know, you not a – you're not doing a star Wars podcast, <laughs> you know, and no, I'm not, not, not to, not to differentiate. <laughs> but no, I like the story. Yeah, yeah. And I'm not trying to say that in some way you're less than, but I think no, by not. not being caught up in so many of the narratives, it's really neat to just get an outside perspective. And that's what I really cool. wanted to, to get from you is because I feel like you're someone who just watched it. You have all this education in feminist storytelling. Um, so it was like, well, it just makes sense to ask you about this because <laughs> you, because you, you understand it in a way that I certainly don't. Um, and you also don't have anything at stake here, right. In the star mm. Wars narrative that I think a lot of folks do, right. The folks that are, yeah. that, that feel jaded by any port. I mean, we had star Wars fans jaded by the prequels. You have star Wars fans jaded now because mm-hmm. of the sequels. You had star Wars fans jaded in return of the Jedi because they didn't like Ewoks, right? Like, Star Wars right. fans always take these things very, very seriously, which is both good and bad. Um, but I think to have just like a fun, honest conversation about the heroine's journey, it, I'm really fortunate that you are kind of this outside observer that can just kind of give us the give us the objective look at that what that looks like, um, and then flush yeah. it out with the actual story. So. Um, yeah, well, so, I I was you. really excited to talk about it. So thank you for having me on. It yeah. was very cool. Yeah, no. Um, so that's going to do it for this uh, special episode of the Wampas Lair podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, if you have any thoughts on this, any questions that you might want to pass on to Lori, you, you certainly can uh, send them my way and I, and I will bring them to Lori and I'm sure she'll be happy to get back to us. Um, so you can do that uh, by sending us an email at wampaslairpodcast at gmail.com. You can shoot us a message on Twitter uh, at wampaslair and we're on Facebook at wampaslair podcast. Um, so again, thank you for tuning in. Uh, for Lori, I'm Carl and we will see you next time here in the Wampas Lair.